This episode is brought to you by Paramount Plus. Get in, loser! Mean Girls is now streaming on Paramount Plus. Join Katie Heron as she meets the plastics and Tina Fey's new twist on the modern classic. Get ready for more of the rumors, backstabbing, and jokes you loved from the original movie with some fetch surprises. Rated PG 13. Wear pink and head to ParamountPlus.com to try it free. Does Monday at the office feel like a storm? Not with Microsoft Copilot. That feeling when Copilot gets everyone up to speed instantly? It's sunny again. When Copilot simplifies complex data so your teams can act, that sun's shining on a beach. And when Copilot uncovers hidden insights, you're on that beach with your people and you find buried treasure. That's Microsoft Copilot. Learn more at Microsoft.com slash AI for all. For their underwriting of the SFA Cajun Country Virtual Summer Field Trip, their investment in the SFA mission, and their support of this episode of Gravy, SFA thanks our friends from Avery Island, Louisiana, McElhaney Company, maker of Tabasco brand products. I've been dreaming about road trips, John T. Those three or four or five hour drives, not day trips, not full on load up the car, stop the mail vacations. And from Oxford, Nashville, Birmingham, Little Rock, and Lafayette make ideal destinations. When we're able to road trip again, Blair and I are going to load up the car with coffee and cheese biscuits. Blair always bakes them at home and wraps them up in foil, and they usually hold us until our first lunch. Until then, though, like so many others, we plan to explore another sort of travel. Instead of traveling geographic ground, we plan to cover historical ground. We'll go back in time to glimpse how others lived, how they worked, what they ate. Today, we go back in time to Donaldsonville, Louisiana. Before the interstate, folks who headed south from Mississippi followed the river and later rode the rails. In those days, towns like Donaldsonville, which is both riverside and railside, thrived. Our producer, Sarah Holtz, spent some time poking around Donaldsonville's past. She came up with stories of African-American work and life in the Louisiana cane fields and of a local snack, sugar popcorn, not much found beyond here. She sought out what once defined Donaldsonville and its people and put together a guide to what it might be again. Join us as we time travel. I'm John T. Edge. And I'm Melissa Hall. We're your hosts for Gravy. 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 A production of the Southern Foodways Alliance, Gravy tells new and complicated stories about the changing American South. The Bayou Lafourche snakes along 106 miles of South Louisiana. Where the bayou intersects the Mississippi River is a town called Donaldsonville. In 1806, a wealthy English planner named William Donaldson purchased a tract of land bordering the Bayou Lafourche from the Acadians and founded a town, which he named after himself. Today, the area is dominated by the petrochemical industry, but back in the 19th century, the plantation economy supported life in the river parishes of South Louisiana. After the Civil War, many emancipated people of color purchased property in and around Donaldsonville, and the town became Louisiana's third largest African-American enclave. In 1868, 
a formerly enslaved man named Pierre Caliste Landry, was elected mayor of Donaldsonville, making him the first African-American mayor in the United States. Decades later, new cultures wove themselves into the fabric of the town, including a significant number of Italian immigrants. This is the story of two families, the Cazares and the Savoya Giots, who trace their roots back over a hundred years in Donaldsonville. Though these two families live mere blocks from each other, they aren't directly connected, but they do share a commonality, as keepers of two incredible reservoirs of local history and food culture uncovered within their own walls. My name is Roy Cazare, Jr. I'm a lifelong resident of Donaldsonville, Louisiana. This is my home. Roy has retired from a career in the state legislature. His family has been in the area since his ancestors purchased land after the Civil War in a newly emancipated but deeply segregated Donaldsonville. The emergence of racist laws in the age of Jim Crow spurred the African-American community, as it did in countless towns across the South, to take care of their own. In Donaldsonville, that need for support led to the formation of a mutual aid society. The True Friends Benevolent Society, as in a lot of uh, African-American communities uh, in parishes, throughout the river parishes for sure, was in uh, a benevolent society that uh, brought forth help and assistance to black families that may have fallen short with uh, medic money for prescriptions, or doctor visits, or helping out in any way, fashion, or form. True Friends was founded in 1883. Only men could be members, but the organization quickly became a community hub for African-American families in Donaldsonville. Kathy Hambrick is the founder and executive director of the River Road African-American Museum, which owns the building that was once True Friends Hall. While conducting research for the museum's exhibit on True Friends, Kathy learned about the essential role that these benevolent associations played in towns like Donaldsonville, particularly following emancipation. I think this was a very beginning of African-Americans understanding that they needed to be self-sufficient. There were basically no government services that were providing you with any type of health care, food, rations, or the ability to feed yourself, house yourself as people left the plantations throughout this sugarcane region. So these associations were a form of self-help and self-reliance for the people who were among their members. Social life also revolved around True Friends Hall, which found a home on Lessard Street and eventually played host to musicians like Fats Domino, Papa Celestin, and Joe Tex. It was the, the cultural center of Donaldsonville for African Americans. There they had uh, social events, uh, debutante balls. Uh, matter of fact, uh, I remember as a child growing up, um, my parents, uh, they would have a, an annual ball. And I mean, the gentlemen, the men would be dressed in their tuxedos and the ladies would be in their gowns and to see them uh, doing the, the waltzes and dances. And it was just a beautiful display of, you know, the cultural side of, uh, of society, black society here in, in Donaldsonville. True Friends was also a nexus for some of the town's best home cooks, 
specifically the wives of the society's members, who prepared favorites like gumbo, crawfish étouffée, and cubillon for events at True Friends Hall. Donaldsonville's proximity to the bayou and the gulf meant that seafood was always a staple. And True Friends hosted fish fries for their annual Mardi Gras ball, debutante ball, and weekend sock hops. When Kathy interviewed former members of True Friends, many of them recalled a favorite sweet treat. This is sugar cane country. At the True Friends Hall and at the Harlem Theater, which was adjacent to True Friends Hall, the one thing that stuck in my mind that people remembered the most was the sugar popcorn. So it wasn't caramel-coated popcorn. Instead of sprinkling salt on popcorn at the Harlem Theater or at programs or selling it at events at the True Friends Hall, they would sprinkle it with this raw sugar that came from the sugar mill. You could see a big smile on their face when they talked about the sugar popcorn. Meals at True Friends weren't limited to special events. Roy recalled that members helped those in need with money for groceries or a hot meal during the holidays. Christmas, uh, Thanksgiving, because again, True Friends Benevolent Society, they were there handing out food, assisting families that might have fallen short, you know. Just making sure that everybody uh, participated in the process and uh, felt a sense of fulfillment, of wholeness and completeness. Of course, the need for a safe gathering place in Donaldsonville primarily stemmed from segregation and the constant threat of racial violence in the age of Jim Crow. True Friends Hall was surrounded by other Black-owned businesses. Roy remembers walking through town as a kid and passing by barbershops, beauty parlors, and cafes like Tom and Babe's, which has long since shuttered. And even before Roy's time, new arrivals to Donaldsonville also set up shop down the street. By the 1920s, a wave of Italian immigrants had settled in Ascension Parish. The Savoia family opened a restaurant in 1921 and named it the First and Last Chance Cafe. We had next to the railroad track, which was a working depot across the street. And servicemen or anybody boarded the train at the depot to go to New Orleans or Baton Rouge. And it was your first chance and your last chance to get something to eat or drink. That was Julie Giot. She and her husband, Billy, are the third generation owners of the first and last chance. The Giot name graces one half of the boxy brick building's front plaque. It reads Savoia and Giot. The chance is a local mainstay for burgers and Creole Italian specialties like broiled garlic shrimp. I met Julie at the chance, as regulars call it, just before a weekday lunch rush, when Billy was busy working behind the bar. Billy, lower your volume. They ta- she's taping. The chance's walls are lined with local ephemera, football pennants, and newspaper clippings. The bar is well stocked its surface worn smooth by a century of use. Tucked in back are two private dining booths, or cabinets particulaire. This is a holdover from Prohibition, when diners took the opportunity to raise an illicit glass behind the privacy curtains. Believers in nomen et omen, the ancient superstition that a thing's name predicts its ultimate fate, could point to the chance as a prime example. And maybe they're right because Julie's story boils down to a chance encounter with a -a one-of-a-kind cracker box. 
When we come back, kids, we'll find out what was in the old cracker box. That was my old man voice, because it sounds like such an old man thing to say. Nice, Dante. But first... Hi, it's Melissa. And if you're looking for another great podcast from the South, then you have to check out No Small Endeavor, produced by our friends at Great Feeling Studios and PRX. Each episode, award-winning professor and Nashville native Lee C. Camp merges the worlds of philosophy, theology, the arts, and more to ask the question, how can we live a good life while nourishing the soul? Plus, it's the only show I know that features everyone from legendary actor and filmmaker Rob Reiner to Southern activist and author Anthony Ray Hinton. So go ahead, follow No Small Endeavor on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts, and tell them Gravy Said Hey! This episode is brought to you by Paramount Plus. An unlikely friendship begins in the Paramount Plus original movie, Little Wing, starring Brooklyn Prince with Kelly Riley and Brian Cox. Reeling from her parents' divorce, Caitlin steals a valuable bird to save her home, but instead forms a bond with the owner, leading to a new outlook on life. Little Wing, now streaming exclusively on Paramount Plus. Head to ParamountPlus.com to try it free. Rated PG 13. Hey, it's Kaylee Cuoco for Priceline. Ready to go to your happy place for a happy price? Well, why didn't you say so? Just download the Priceline app right now and save up to 60% on hotels. So whether it's Cousin Kevin's Kazoo concert in Kansas City, go Kevin! Or Becky's Bachelorette Bash in Bermuda, you never have to miss a trip ever again. So download the Priceline app today. Your savings are waiting. Go to your happy place for a happy price. Go to your happy price, Priceline. For eight generations, the Samuels family has distilled American whiskey. Today, Rob Samuels, the grandson of founder Bill Samuels Sr., oversees the operation of the Maker's Mark Distillery. From the soft red winter wheat they've sourced from the same local farm for over 60 years to the char in their barrels, every step in the bourbon-making process is carefully crafted just like Bill Samuels Sr. did when he first created the handmade bourbon. For their excellent spirits and their support of this podcast, SFA thanks Maker's Mark. Maker's Mark crafts their bourbon carefully. Please enjoy it that way. Well, it's an old metal cracker box, and it was from Voorhees. And you could see that it says saltine crackers on it. You can hear it's a metal box. <laughs> when the Giots took over the chance in 1984, they decided to renovate. Part of the project included tearing out an interior wall. And that's where they found that cracker box. So, what was inside? Letters from the servicemen that were written to the chance during World War II. Just happened to find it in a wall when we tore the wall down. As it turned out, these letters, or foxhole stories, were all written to loved ones back home in Donaldsonville. Every piece of mail in the box had one thing in common. It was addressed in care of the first and last chance cafe, Donaldsonville, Louisiana. This unwavering pattern came as no surprise to Julie. I guess everybody came here before and after, and they wanted to let them know how they were doing. See, this one's just the first and last chance. I wish I could find the one that just says Bruno. That's it, Bruno. And they found it. Italian-owned businesses like The Chance were only a stone's throw from the True Friends complex. During the first half of the 20th century, these two communities developed side by side, but remained insular. When Julie started digging in, 
she found that the same handful of Italian and Cajun families show up again and again in the foxhole letters. It was really neat. Started reading them, and about 30 minutes into reading it, I found two cards from my father. So that was really neat. The main thing that stuck out in Julie's mind from her father's letters is that he was really missing the bar at the chance, which at that time was open 24 hours a day. Well, uh, my father says he was mad because the bars closed at 7 (laughs) o'clock. I think he was in Scotland when he wrote this. Upon recognizing several names on paper, besides her own father's, Julie decided to track down as many of the letter's recipients and their relatives as she could. And it turned out to be quick work. We found a bunch of grandchildren and children of World War II and gave them their letters from their fathers back. Within months of her discovery, she had delivered around 100 foxhole letters to their proper homes. Still, the Chances Collection is in no way a complete representation of Donaldsonville's World War II veterans. Remember, the town was still segregated in those years. Roy Kazare Jr. has dined at the Chance many times in his adult life, but as a child, he couldn't even bike down the sidewalk of Railroad Avenue. Like Julie's father, Roy Kazare Sr. was also a soldier during World War II. A lot of the African-American men participated in the, in the service, particularly the, the Army. Today, the town's war memorial honors all World War II veterans, including Roy's father. Roy Jr. has held on to his own archive of True Friends history. This is something that I cherish. It's my father's briefcase when he was secretary of the True Friends Benevolence Society. When we met, Roy Jr. carefully unveiled the briefcase and showed me the time capsule within. More than 20 years of meeting minutes, membership applications, and dues cards for the hundred or so families that belong to the society. Roy Sr.'s notes date from the late 1950s to the society's dissolution in the 1980s. Just like the Chance's foxhole letters, Roy quickly identified a handful of families that still live in Donaldsonville. You see some of the names here of the family members of, uh, that's still here, you know, that's still here in Donaldsonville. Some of the uh, elders of those families were members of, the, uh, of that society. The Francis family, the Leon family, the Schomburg family, the LeBlanc family, another Blanc, the B, Joseph. Well, the look, this one's neat, and it's in perfectly good shape, too. Back at the chance, Julie and I spent a good hour sifting through the letters that remain. Oh, it's kind of hard to read. This really is a hell of a place. No whiskey and only wine and brew. <laughs> and the beer is terrible. <laughs> often think of the good time I used to have at the chance. And I, when I return, the party will be, in, will be on. Tell everyone hello from me, John. The feeling of homesickness in the letters is pervasive. So here he's trying to get on leave so he could go to the LSU Texas A&M game. <laughs> of course, one of the reasons the letters have made such an impact on the regulars of the first and last chance is that many of the same families still live in town but others have moved away. I returned one yesterday when I pulled the box out because you were coming. I found a nephew of one of them, and he took it. So that was good. I just think it's neat and it's interesting, and and I was glad I could give some people because all of the ones that I gave, their parents are dead, so it was nice. My neighbor started crying when she got hers from her daddy. She was so happy to have it. For Roy Kazare, the True Friends Archive strikes a similar emotional chord. 
As a Donaldsonville native who entered the public high school before integration, he believes the presence of a strong community hub like True Friends helped his family through that time of struggle. The civil rights leaders of Donaldsonville could rely on True Friends Hall as a safe haven. I would say that they played a nuclear uh, role because that's where meetings transpired, organizational meetings, instructional meetings, just all of the preparatory work that had to go in to making the movement what it was at that time to meet the challenges of those days. Roy's memories of the civil rights years have stayed with him through his career in state politics. I saw and experienced with my own eyes the meaning of standing up and pushing for civil rights as that, mo- as that movement uh, started spurning up and growing and gaining, started gaining momentum. Well, it took its roots from little local communities. Beyond times of intense hardship, the community's support at True Friends remained essential. It was a constant through a fast-changing era in South Louisiana. They took uh, interest in the well-being of the community, and that's what sticks with me, is that they were always a, a helping hand and a listening ear. And when it came time for social events, educational events, cultural events, it didn't matter. They were involved, they were hands-on, and they were just a center of assistance, per se. And uh, it was wonderful to be a part of it. From Kathy Hambrick's perspective, the story of True Friends helps to tell the larger story of Donaldsonville, which is one of survival. Because the people who live there migrated into the town from the sugarcane plantations, as free people of color, as formerly enslaved, survived the Civil War. It was bombed more than three times during the Civil War, survived all of the yellow fever epidemic, racial divisiveness during the Civil Rights era, survived Hurricane Katrina, Hurricane Rita, Ike, oil spill, economic downturn. The city is a microcosm of what America's survival is all about. It's been a long time since True Friends provided resources to Donaldsonville's African-American community. Sarah met a current Donaldsonville resident to hear about what life is like in town today. In 2020, Donaldsonville is not the economic stronghold it was when Julie Guyot and Roy Kazare were young. The South Louisianans who flocked to Deville from neighboring parishes to do their shopping started going elsewhere when the interstate highway was built and economic development followed, miles away from Donaldsonville. I spoke with a younger resident who grew up in Donaldsonville and has chosen to stay the course through another difficult era. My name is Travis London and I'm a community activist in Donaldsonville. I met Travis through mutual friends, who have been supporting his efforts to spread the word about the environmental and health concerns linked to the petrochemical industry in Donaldsonville. This is a new era of adversity in a town with a storied legacy of, well, adversity. When I spoke to Travis, he was eager to share a recent news story that identified Donaldsonville as one of the worst places to live in the U.S., based on the town's severe economic limitations 
and environmental hazards. True Friends isn't around anymore to provide support for folks who are struggling in Donaldsonville. While the River Road African American Museum is home to a plethora of archival material that sheds light on some of the lessons learned at True Friends, Kathy told me she still wishes there was something in the community to fill its place today. Unfortunately, I don't see any of these types of organizations existing anymore in Donisonville or in any of the other rural communities where there were once so many of them. How will that ever be turned around so that Donisonville can once again become the great town and city that it was? I don't have the answers. Travis might. His vision for a healthier Donaldsonville includes more of basically everything. Like a hope for the future in Donaldsonville, uh, more stable hospital, better on uh, lane protection, lane rights protection. Mama pop stores, matter of fact, because they're the ones that really help out the community and stuff. But mostly of all, like this community, like 75% black, and we need more uh, black cultural programs, more uh, resources to help black people in the community. But it's a lot of issues, but those, those are the main issues that need to be addressed in town before we can move forward with anything else. Travis could move elsewhere, but he's committed to improving the quality of life in Donaldsonville, much like the Chants and True Friends did when their communities needed it most. This episode was produced and edited by Sarah Holtz. As of May 11th, when we recorded this epilogue, First and Last Chance was open with modified hours in service. And for now, the River Road African American Museum stages private tours only. Who do we thank this week, John T? We thank Wendell Patrick, as ever, for Gravy's theme music, and Jazar, as ever, for our donor music. We thank Ryan Fertel for lending Cajun country expertise and for being our collaborator and friend lo these many years. Managing editor for Gravy and all other SFA media is Sarah Camp Milam. Mary Beth Lassiter serves as our publisher. And she's whiz-bang good at it. Enjoy listening to Gravy so much that you want to take us along on your next road trip, wherever that might be, whenever that might be. Look for our free SFA Stories app. Built on SFA oral histories, films, and podcasts, it integrates with Google Maps to help you find your way in and around Cajun country and other regions of Louisiana. After we app Louisiana, we'll expand throughout the region. That means right now the only state you can use it for is Louisiana. Exactly. We thank McElhaney Company, maker of Tabasco brand products, for bringing SFA stories to a pocket computer near you. Melissa, that means a phone, right? It means a phone, John T. Thank you. <laughs> Visit southernfoodways.org to learn more. And while you're there, become a member. And if you're already a member, make a donation. We need your dollars to tell great stories. I'm Melissa Hall. And I'm John T. Edge. Thanks for letting us pour some gravy in your ear. <laughs>